always scares me when I talk to you guys and you guys think so highly of Christian music, contemporary Christian music especially, because I kind of go, man, I know a lot of us, and we don't know jack about anything. Not that I don't want you to buy our records. Come to our concerts, I sure do. But you should come for entertainment. If you really want spiritual nourishment, you should go to church. Hello and welcome to Christianese, Season 3, Episode 2. I'm your host, Drew Fitzgerald, and today we're talking about Christian music. Christian music is both really easy and really hard to talk about. It's really easy to be cynical about it. It's really easy to criticize Christian music, to call it lame, and to generally just be a downer about the whole thing. It's really hard to talk about Christian music because it's such a divisive topic. In fact, music played in church is one of the most divisive topics in the church. It's one of the leading drivers of church splits in America. And at the exact same time, Christian music is both really important to talk about and really unimportant. It's important because we worship through Christian music. We learn about God and we praise Him through music. And there would be nothing worse than praising God through music that is untrue about Him. But when it comes to musical tastes, that's an opinion. And you're allowed to like certain songs and not be fans of other melodies. So it's kind of ridiculous to get in arguments about styles of Christian music. So for today's episode, I kind of want to get on the same page about what it means to worship through song what types of songs the Bible says we should sing, and then take a look at the Christian music industry. Through this, I hope we can be a little bit more equipped and a little bit more thoughtful when it comes to Christian music. With that in mind, let's begin. There are over a dozen words for worship in the Bible. In both the Old and the New Testament, practices like dancing before God, singing in a loud voice, praising Him, boasting in His works, and celebrating are all considered right behaviors towards God. But worship isn't just random celebration. It's focused on who God is, and it's done from a particular attitude. Both the Old and the New Testament have words for prostrating yourself, bowing down and kneeling before God. Barak in the Old Testament and Proskuneo in the New. These words remind us that worship is not just happy celebration, but it is focused in reverence towards God. Because of this, there is both a right way and a wrong way to worship. In fact, the Old Testament is bookended by stories of how to and how not to worship God. In Genesis chapter 4, there's the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers, the sons of Adam and Eve, and when they come to worship God, they bring him very different gifts. Cain brings God some of his produce. It almost seems haphazard, as if Cain's just going through the motions of worship. His brother Abel, on the other hand, put a lot of thought and effort into his gift. He brings God the very best of what he has, and even fattens up the best of what he has, so that he can give it to God as a sacrificial gift. As a result, God is pleased with Abel's gift, but he is not pleased with Cain's. Cain becomes angry, 
And what's really interesting is that God goes to Cain and says, hey, why are you upset? You know what is right. If you do what's right, you don't have to worry. God wants us to worship him rightly. And that means giving God our very best and putting thought into our worship. By the end of the Old Testament, it seems like Cain's mindset in worship is pretty pervasive. At the very end of the Old Testament, God sends the prophet Malachi to his people, and through him, he says, You priests, you've made light of my name, but you reply, How have we made light of your name? Because you're offering improper sacrifices on my altar. Yet you also ask, How have we offended you? By treating the table of the Lord as if it's of no importance. For when you offer blind animals as a sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is that not wrong as well? Indeed, try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? I wish one of you would close the temple doors so that you no longer would light your useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, and I will no longer accept an offering from you. From the east is to the west, my name will be great among the nations. Incense and pure offerings will be offered in my name everywhere, for my name will be great among the nations. But you are profaning it by saying that the table of the Lord is common and its offering despicable. You also say how tiresome it is, and you turn up your nose at it. And instead, you bring what is stolen, lame, and sick. You bring these things for an offering. Should I accept them from you? Because of Christ, there is no more temple worship. We don't have to go and make animal sacrifices or bring peace offerings or grain offerings to church and burn them up front. But in Christ, we are still called to worship in spirit and in truth. We're supposed to approach God from the right position and to praise Him with the right words. Even though there's no more temple, God still cares very much about how we worship him. And what's clear from the prophet Malachi and other prophets like Amos is that God would rather us not worship him at all than worship him falsely. And with that in mind, let's talk about Christian music. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul lists out the sorts of songs that we're meant to sing. Starting in verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. First, there's the psalms. Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus to continue the Judaistic practice of singing the Old Testament psalms in their worship, which is a great thing. Because in the Psalms, there is the entire gamut of human emotion, and every song in there is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so you never have to wonder if the words are true or not. Then there's hymns, the hymnois. These songs were purely Gentile. For the Greek, a hymn was a song sung to commemorate or eulogize some god or cultic hero. A Christian hymn was a song that praised the works of Jesus and made his name great. A good example of this is in Philippians chapter 2, which many scholars believe was an early church hymn. Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, 
by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now these hymns weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit like the Psalms were, but they were full of truth, and they were sung in Gentile styles, so that even if people far from Jerusalem became Christians, they were welcomed into worship with music that was familiar to them. Anyone from any culture at any time can write a hymn that eulogizes or praises the works of God. They can be used as tools to teach and remind us of what God has done, and also to give us hope for what He will do. Last, but not least, were the spiritual songs. Now, these weren't inspired like the Psalms, and they weren't directly praising God like the hymns, but they were very important. Spiritual songs were personal songs that people would sing as they went throughout their day, and they could deal with anything. They were those songs that maybe didn't fit in the category of worship song, but certainly were about Christian doctrine, thought, and living. Where the psalms and hymns had very specific purpose in worship, spiritual songs talked about every other facet of Christian life. So when you put those three together, the psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs, you get an incredible expressive range of music. But today, we don't really sing psalms. We sing some hymns, but we typically think of those as songs from the Reformation up to the 19th century. And if we do sing them, we think they need a new added chorus in order to be relevant. And spiritual songs, you don't really hear those on the radio that much. The Christian music that you do hear today all tends to sound the same. We'll talk about why right after this. Welcome back to Christianese. The Bible gives us an incredible range of songs that we should be singing in worship and as we go throughout our day. But Christian music today not only sounds the same, it all seems to have the exact same purpose. It's positive, it's encouraging, there's not going to be any curse words. And then when you hear that synth pad, it's airy. It's calm. You just know you're in for a Christian song. And I gotta be honest. This makes me feel better. Like, seriously. I kinda just wanna sit here and listen to this for a little bit. Okay, no, podcast. Um, okay. Christian music does tend to all sound the same. But that's not really the issue. The problem really isn't the musical style. It's the fact that all the songs sound the same because they're not explicit. The Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of the New Testament very clearly laid out theology. They were very particular in how they talked about God's character. They were also very particular in how people should respond to the truth. Modern Christian music shies away from specificity. As a result, a lot of Christian music is only explicitly Christian by assumption. For example, let's look at Lauren Daigle's top three songs. Before we do, though, I want to be very clear that I have absolutely no reason at all to question Lauren Daigle's faith. By every account, 
she is passionate about Jesus and his gospel. And I think that will only highlight this point a little more. Lauren Daigle's top three songs on Spotify are You Say, Rescue, and Trust in You. All three songs, at some point, speak directly to God. That's great. But in all three songs, she uses the name God once. She uses the title Lord once. The word you, in reference to God, is used 90 times. Nine, zero. Now, you might be thinking, Drew, that's really not a big deal. We know who she's talking to in those songs. And yes, because we know who wrote the songs and who sings the songs, we're able to infer who she's speaking to. But shouldn't it bother us a little bit that some of the most popular Christian songs today can only really be called Christian by assumption and inference? Modern CCM has been scrubbed so clean that there isn't really much Christian left about it. How did that happen? Well, let's go back to 1991. By 1991, Christian music, or CCM, had already been around for a while. But no Christian had ever really made it big. That all changed when Amy Grant released her album, Heart in Motion. By 1991, she had been a recording artist for over 10 years. But this album blew up. Two of the songs in particular were on the radio all the time. The big hit, Every Heartbeat, and Baby Baby. Now when I say that they were popular, you might be thinking, yeah, like popular in Christian circles. No. Every Heartbeat was the number 13 most played song in the country in 1991. Baby Baby came in at number 28. Now, that's not top 10, but Amy Grant in 1991 was played more than Whitney Houston, Metallica, R.E.M., Janet Jackson, Boys to Men, Paula Abdul, Luther Vandross, Michael Bolton, Rod Stewart, Bonnie Raitt, Vanilla Ice, Brian Adams, LL Cool J, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and Prince. The album went five-time platinum. For the first time, a Christian recording artist was mainstream. On the coattails of her success, CCM exploded. Groups like Newsboys, Jars of Clay, and artists like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael W. Smith were everywhere. Christian metal band Petra was packing out arenas globally and sold over 10 million copies of their records. By the late 90s, CCM was a driving force in the music industry. Any record label worth its salt had created a Christian label to help nurture and grow new CCM acts. But that success was shockingly short-lived. Through the early 2000s, Christian bands were still really popular. But there was a rift forming in the Christian music industry. Audiences didn't like when their Christian bands looked and even sounded like mainstream bands. A good example of this is the band Striper. They looked and sounded like any other rock group, but they played songs specifically about Jesus. As a result, a lot of mainstream people didn't hear their music or didn't want to because they weren't into Christianity. But a lot of Christians criticized them because they felt like they weren't Christian enough. Christian audiences created a divide between Christian music and secular music, and they wanted to make sure their bands were with them. 
But when they created that rift, a lot of bands just fell into the middle. Sure, there were bands like DC Talk who were still wildly popular all the way through the early 2000s, regularly cutting double platinum albums and showing up on both the Billboard and MTV charts. But as new bands like Switchfoot, Reliant K, and P.O.D. showed up, bands really had to struggle with whether or not they wanted to be Christian bands or bands who were made up of Christians. Today, the Christian music industry is often called the ghetto. I'm not making that up. You can even find it on the Christian music industry's Wikipedia page. That's how prevalent it is. Because if you say that you are a Christian band, you are stuck into a Christian sphere and no one else really wants anything to do with you. But if you don't take on that tag, you are opening yourself up to a world of criticism. Just look at the experience of two different hip-hop artists, Lecrae and Kanye West. When Lecrae started to move mainstream with his music a few years ago, Christian audiences started to question his faith. Think about how extreme that is. What other industry, when a Christian works with a non-Christian, do their community start to question their worldview? In a very real and very confusing way, Christian audiences have disallowed Christian artists to be evangelistic in their work. Christians encourage everybody to reach out to non-Christians in their workplace and to talk about Jesus with them. I guess that doesn't apply if you're a musician. Then Kanye West, someone who once claimed himself to be God, said he had a conversion to faith, that he now trusted Christ and made an album, Jesus is King. And you would think, in a faith that actively encourages evangelism, that celebrates any person coming to faith, that this would have been a huge celebration. But actually, Christians got really mad about it. Instead of celebrating Kanye, the vast majority of Christian listeners told him he wasn't allowed. On that album, the song Hands On, he sings, Change? He ain't really different. He ain't even try to get permission. Asked for advice and they dissed him. Said I'm fitting to do a gospel album. What you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first ones to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. They'll be the first ones to judge me. Feeling like nobody loved me. If you aren't a part of Christian music, Christians really don't want anything to do with you in their music. And if you are in the Christian music sphere, Lord help you if you try to get out of it. This staunch territorialism caused a significant market shift for CCM music. According to RIAA, an organization that tracks record sales, CCM sales have shrunk by 62% since 1998. As a result, many record labels closed. Those labels that still exist aren't looking to take any risks. When you lose 62% of your revenue, you're really only going to put money behind sure bets. And you're going to make sure that any new music you make sounds like the sure bets. And all of the record labels started to put their eggs into the most marketable basket, worship music. And to make sure that the music was as marketable as possible, they scrubbed the lyrical content for anything that might cause disagreements. CCM producer Paul Burton, in an interview with MusicAcademy.com, said basically there was an explosion of worship music in the mid-90s which was new, fresh, and successful. Then suddenly labels refused to sign non-worship artists. 
The general short-sightedness of the business failed to foresee the extremely narrow creative window that congregational music inhabits, translating into musical and lyrical content that's become very generic and mostly uncreative, mainly to fit the requirements and limitations of congregational worship. As we've seen, a large portion of Christians are now very bored with listening to worship albums as they all sound very similar and can only be limited to certain lyrical content. Now that sales are dropping off, labels, rather than widening the creative net, are narrowing it to hold on to those last few sales. There's no way back from a business point of view until an artist can capture the imagination of the masses once again and has a label marketing machine brave enough to propel it. Think about what happened in the restaurant industry during the pandemic. Most restaurants shut down. This included high-end, expensive five-star restaurants and little diners that had been around for 50 years. What restaurants stayed open? Fast food. And while there's a little bit of difference between Burger King and McDonald's and Wendy's, no matter where you go, you're gonna get a burger, fries, and a Coke. As CCM has gotten more homogenous and focused strictly on the genre of corporate worship, they've essentially eradicated one of Paul's categories for worship music, the spiritual songs. In his article, Who Killed the Contemporary Christian Music Industry, Tyler Huckabee interviewed John Mark McMillan, who said, in CCM, if you want to sing about certain more uncomfortable things, you won't have an opportunity. But on the same end, if I want to sing about Jesus on the top 40, that's not going to happen either. The gatekeepers in that world are just as weird. The problem is, if I'm a believer and I want to sing my honest thoughts about Jesus, it's like, where do I do that? When the church farms out the creation of its corporate worship to organizations that are more concerned with marketability than right worship, we have a problem. Now, I'm not saying that every worship song is bad. I just think we need to be discerning. The worship music that sells is positive, encouraging, uplifting, and primarily focused on us. This turns worship into a recharge, kind of like plugging in your cell phone. But when you look at worship in the Old and the New Testament, it's about bringing your best to God and giving it over to Him. There's a huge difference between bowing down and I don't really know what the answer is for fixing Christian music. I know that we need to focus on God more than we focus on ourselves. I know that our worship needs to be true. But when it comes to rehabbing the Christian music industry, reintroducing diversity and variety of songs, I don't, I don't really know. Honestly, the closest I can come to an answer is just replaying that quote from Rich Mullins. If you don't know who Rich Mullins is, he's one of the most important Christian artists of the last century. After his death in 1997, Amy Grant called him the uneasy conscience of CCM. In one of his last concerts before he died, he addressed a church crowd about Christian music. It always scares me when I talk to you guys and you guys think so highly of Christian music, contemporary Christian music especially, because I kind of go, man, I know a lot of us, and we don't know jack about anything. Not that I don't want you to buy our records. You come to our concerts, I sure do. 
But you should come for entertainment. If you really want spiritual nourishment, you should go to church. I really don't listen to any CCM music because, kind of like Rich alluded to, I was going to a source of entertainment for spiritual nourishment and ignoring God's provision to me for spiritual nourishment, my church. When I listened to Christian radio and CCM, it was typically by myself, and I realized that I started going to that music not to focus on God, but to focus on myself. And when worship became about me, it stayed about me even when I was with the church, with God's people. Those three to five songs on Sunday morning all became about the experience, not about the subject of worship. And that, that really troubled me. And I don't think that's the case for everybody. But for me, the way that I needed to reconnect with God in worship was to stop listening to so much of the genre of worship music. That was a decision I needed to make for myself. I don't think it's necessarily the decision that you need to make in the way that you engage with Christian music. But you do need to be vigilant. You need to be aware of the way that you engage with Christian music, the ways that it may or may not affect your view of God and shift how you worship him, of lyrics that are either self-focused or God-focused, true or just empty emotions. When you approach Christian music this way, I think you'll find a lot of musicians who have fallen in that gap, where they aren't quite in the genre of worship music, but they're also not pop music. People playing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs that might be too expansive for Christian radio, but perfect for worship. The thing is, when it comes to Christian music, we really just have to pay attention. This has been a production of Fathom Magazine. To find out more, go to fathommag.com.